Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I have Pete Similero of the Conserve and Protect Arizona.org. Pete, how are you doing? Doing great, Jay. Thank you. You know, Pete, over the last few days uh, since our first podcast aired, uh, we have had, uh, I've had a lot of uh, emails. I've talked to a lot of people. Obviously, the word is getting out there. How important is it to you? Contrary to, you know, maybe what some people are saying out there, how important is it to you to get this word out there and to get input and feedback from sportsmen uh, Arizona-wide? Well, Jay, that's why we did it. I mean, that's why we got together with you and put it out because we recognized uh, with your reach uh, we would get to as many people as quickly as possible. So this is, we hope everybody understands, is this is our effort to get it out, uh, to answer as many questions as possible, provide as much information as possible, because we recognize this is not uh, an issue that, it's not an easy one, it's going to be controversial to some, and uh, it is one of those that uh, is so important that we don't want to be accused of trying to do something behind the scenes, so... That's why we're talking. There was a little bit of, I think, miscommunication. I, I don't know if it was on my part, um, but we had announced that there was going to be a talk prior to the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society meeting the other day, and I, I think I even put out on my social and maybe even out on some other websites that it was at 7 p.m. You then told me on the podcast, which people have to understand took place about two hours before that, and you said, well, we're actually, we don't want to interrupt the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society normal board meeting, uh, but we're going to show up at 6 o'clock, in essence, to give an hour ahead of time. And there was some that accused saying, oh, we're trying to do it behind closed doors. They announced 7 o'clock, but they actually did 6 o'clock. Can you speak a little bit to, you know, how that happened, and, and was it truly just a simple mistake of, you know, not wanting to uh, interrupt, so to speak, the normal course of business with the Bighorn Sheep Society. Well, that's that's all it was. Uh, and, and in fact, you had announced the seven o'clock uh, board meeting time, and that's when I said, "Hey, we need to correct that." Uh, well, the, the board meeting did take place at seven, but we had made arrangements with the Sheep Society to meet an hour ahead, so that we could discuss it without interrupting their board meeting. As you can imagine, if a bunch of people showed up to their board meeting, that's not what you want to have happen. And they were good enough to take an hour with us, which we did, and uh, had a lot of questions and basically went through everything. But that's, like I say, that's the scenario. Uh, it, it happened, uh, but it certainly wasn't anything that was planned. It certainly uh, uh, was unfortunate, but just happened. Pete, one of the things um, I'd like to say is uh, I was accused a little bit of quote-unquote being soft on you, throwing you softballs that you could knock out of the park. And um, I would like to address that and the fact that I've known you for 20-plus years, maybe 25 years. It's been a long time. And I've always known you to be the guy that's in the trenches uh, with a lot of the organizations, you're involved with a lot of the different sportsmen's organizations as well as a, as, as a handful of others as well. 
um, but you're a guy that I respect. I respect your opinion. I've respected the the amount of work that you've done compared to a general sportsman. Uh, we all have a role as sportsmen to you know to to play our part. But in my opinion, you have played uh, way more of a role and way more of a part than you know. A, a lot of other people out there. And so my respect for you, if, if it's deemed as I'm serving up softballs uh, for you to hit out of the park, then so be it. What my goal is, is to try and get this information out there. Uh, and yes, my platform here does have the ability to reach quite a few people, but uh, this, is, this is a situation where sportsmen are in a, in, in a bind, so to speak, and we've got to figure out the best plan of action to not be behind the eight ball with uh, HSUS or any one of these other groups. Um, so I, I want to ask you some direct questions um, you, you know, that, that have come up in talking with other people and that I've seen uh, on, on different websites and what have you to try and clear up as much of this as, as possible so that people can make informed decisions. Uh, we're all for it. Uh, you can ask whatever you want. Um, uh, it doesn't serve me to give misinformation. Everything that I'm going to be telling you is the way it is as I see it and the way that it has been since we formed uh, Conserve and Protect Arizona. Um, we hope to move this right on through and continue to do other things. We, we formed this organization to be around. We're not going away. We don't do projects, or I should say our projects are political in nature. Our projects uh, work on the regulatory side of things. They are not habitat projects. We're strictly going to focus on uh, all of the things behind the scenes that make uh, wildlife and sportsmen and the Game and Fish Department a cohesive working unit. That's our goal. And uh, we do the dirty work that nobody really wants to. It's a lot more fun to work on habitat projects than it is to get down in the muck and the mire in the political scene. We recognize that. But it's got to be done because it will work against us and eventually it will end us if we're not active. One of the criticisms um, that I've heard is that the uh, the Conserve and Protect Board, that a lot of the names on the board, the directors, so to, um, so to speak, uh, also were on the ACSFW, and uh, uh, there has been criticism that, you know, these are, these are names that also come up on the Arizona Deer Association, names that come up on the uh, Bighorn Sheep Society. And I talked to one guy, and he says, yeah, because there's only a handful of guys that are trying to do a lot of work for sportsmen. Can you speak a little bit about how some of the names uh, are, are similar, some of the names are the same uh, from either prior groups or existing sportsmen's groups out there? Okay. Uh, the entire board of Conserve and Protect Arizona is eight people, so I can go through and give you a detail. I start with me. I am the president of Conserve and Protect Arizona. I've been in a member of and life members of all the groups here, uh, meaning the Sheep Society, the Elk Society, the Deer Association, the Antelope Foundation, etc. Um, been active since the late 70s in sportsman's issues, and uh, it's it's just something I've uh, enjoyed tremendously and something that I find 
very rewarding. I also was on the board of Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife when it was formed, but I left the organization two and a half years before the initial effort by Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife to run the legislation to create tags. So I was not active with them. I was not there. And let me also say I was on the, on the record in writing and speaking and in meetings. I opposed what they did. Uh, mainly I opposed the way that they did it by taking it behind the scenes and not engaging sportsmen like I am doing now. They started with the legislature, and that's not the right approach. That's what doomed them to failure. Their idea had merit. Not, I didn't agree with all of it, but it had merit. It's similar to what we're trying to do now, but with some big differences. And, um, but that's, that's my background. Like I said, I had left them two and a half years before they ever came up with that. Um, so, so just to, just to be clear, real fast though. So what you're saying is you were gone two plus years before that was even brought forward. So for anyone to say that you are the same guy that was there when it was tried in 2012, that is just not true. Correct? Absolutely, that is not true. That is false. Okay. Uh, the other individual that was on AZSFW uh, was John Colazar back there, back then, and John was on that board at the time of the uh, uh, legislation, and John is on the board of uh, Conserve and Protect Arizona. John's also the president of Arizona Wildlife, Con uh, Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife Conservation. Um, he's very active in many groups, and uh, he is on the board, and we're glad to have him. Uh, he's one voice, um, and we're, we're fine with it, but I want that out there. The rest of the people were not active at all with Arizona Sportsmen for Wildlife. They never were. Uh, Rich Williams is our vice president. Rich Williams is president of the Elk Society and also one of the uh, uh, chapter members of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Tracy Unmacht is our secretary. She's the administrator for the Antelope Foundation and for Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife Conservation, different organization from the other one. Charlie Kelly is the treasurer of our organization, and he's also vice president of the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society. Eddie Corona is a director. He is, um, uh, as everybody I think knows, in, has outdoor experience for all. Um, very active in the Antelope Foundation as a board member, and many others, Wounded Warriors, etc. Jim Unmacht is a director. He is also president of Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife Conservation, excuse me, executive director of Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife Conservation. Um, Brad Remfrey is a director, and he is on the board, actually just went off the board. He was the past president now of, of uh, the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society. That's our eight members of Conserve and Protect Arizona, all people that have been around a long time and have done a lot of volunteer work for wildlife. Pete, for those out there that would criticize and say that this is a crackpot group of you know, guys just trying to pad their pockets and line their pockets, and it's a group of outfitters that are trying to get their high-priced uh, clients and high-priced auction hunters in, and, and that 
that you guys, the eight members, are uh, in the pockets of some high-rolling guys that just want to uh, abuse and take advantage of wildlife. What would your answer be to that? Well, I am an outfitter. I've been one for over 30 years. Um, I'm not very active anymore at my age as far as uh, I take a handful of people each year, two or three. They're all sheep hunting clients of mine and friends, things like that. But uh, that's, that's the whole influence over this group right there as far as it comes to uh, either high-priced uh, uh, people who can buy tags or, or uh, um, outfitters who want to influence us to get them tags or anything else. That's, that's the involvement. If I can be criticized for that, well, I guess I can be criticized for anything. But that's it. Pete, um you, you've talked about we are in a need of, to raise several million dollars. Um, you, you have talked about that need. You talked about the fight with HSUS. You talked about the, the shrewdness, the, the craftiness, if you will, the sharp minds that were able to figure out a way to defeat HSUS and the you know getting the 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 name signed on the petition, um, and and I've talked to a lot of people in the last couple of days on a lot of different sportsman group uh, boards and people that you know really know what's going on with potentially what we're going to be facing, uh, you know if HSUS comes back or some of these other groups. I want to ask you again, do you truly feel, for someone that's been doing this for 30, 35, whatever it is, 40-plus years, do you truly feel that we have a need, a specific need of multi-million dollars to be able to pay for education uh, of the general public when it comes down to, quote-unquote, a fight with some of these groups? In other words, They'll be trying to educate the public. We'll be trying to educate the public. Do you, do you, are you telling me without a shadow of a doubt that you believe that, that this is necessary? There's no question it's necessary, and I can go into the details. Um, I think some of you, certainly in the metropolitan Phoenix area, and I know in Tucson as well, have seen billboards that the Game and Fish Department has uh, drawing an association between the Arizona Game and Fish Department and wildlife. The reason that they're doing that and they've, they've, they're spending money there is because our public, the voting public, has no concept of who takes care of wildlife in Arizona and why we have wildlife in Arizona. They don't know. Game and Fish is in a crusade to draw that association out so that people understand that wildlife in Arizona is managed by the Arizona Game and Fish Department. What we're looking to do is extend that and even be able to tell more of the story, which is the department and sportsmen who provide almost two-thirds of their budget are responsible together for working for wildlife, for wildlife habitat, and more importantly, that the Arizona Game and Fish Department are the professional experts, the biologists, the managers, the law enforcement people. They have the entire oversight 
of wildlife in the state. In this last issue, the Humane Society was able to come in here and basically tell the state of Arizona, wildcats need protection, plain and simple, that these lions and these bobcats are in trouble and they are not being managed wisely and not being protected. The people of Arizona don't even know that the department does that, has the authority to do that, and they do protect these animals and have the responsibility of it. And unfortunately, in the political process here, once they came in and filed the initiative, the department was taken out of the game. By law, they could not respond. They could not talk about the political issue. It's impossible. They can't use any department resources or expertise to do that. What this education program will do, one, it's not going to be political. We're going to talk, starting as soon as we have money and a plan in place, about this association of the Arizona Game and Fish Department and wildlife and sportsmen and wildlife working or, uh, and the Game and Fish Department working for wildlife. This is going to become commonplace in all kinds, social media, TV, print, radio, etc. In order to build an association between us and the Department and wildlife, and more importantly, for the, to get the voters to understand this. And it's going to be an ongoing annual program. That's why we need, and we're estimating right now, about $2 million bucks a year for a program that is going to be a continual education program. And we don't see an end of it. It's one of those things that we're going to have to address the fact that we are the second most urban state in the Union, that we've got a little over 7 million people here. A lot of them are relatively new to Arizona. They have no association with hunting, fishing, or anything else. That Maricopa County is the fastest growing county in the United States of America. We're going to add 75,000 people this next year, and it continues to grow and grow and grow. We have to address that. That's why this is an ongoing program. That's why it needs funds on an annual basis, again, to tell the story of wildlife conservation. If we're successful in doing that, when the Humane Society or any other organization comes back here to Arizona and throws up some issue for an initiative, what we are going to be able to do is draw on, or the, the public will be able to draw on the advertising education campaign that has already been taking place for a year or two or three or whatever that number may be. It's going to cut the actual cost of the campaign for us down dramatically because of this pre-information that has been out there and continually bombarding the public. And that's, that's the key to this whole thing. You have, to, you have to deliver a message with frequency. Somebody hears something once, they don't ever remember it. Two times they don't. Three, maybe they start. It's one of those things that it just has to continue. And if that's done, and it's understood by the public that the Game and Fish manages wildlife, and sportsmen work with the Game and Fish to 
conserve and preserve wildlife, that's going to get us so far down the road in a campaign, it, the people are already going to be able to ask the question, well, well, why do we need to do this, asking the Humane Society? We have the Arizona Game and Fish Department here. It's an ongoing marketing program that sets us up so we do not have to spend 4 or $5 million in a campaign when it comes when we're challenged. And that's the key, is that we're, going to, we're still going to spend it, but it's going to come through the sale, what our proposed sale of these raffle tags. It's going to put in place a program that continually gives information to the, the public, and then we don't have to spend that much to respond. Maybe it cuts our campaign cost in half when they come back here. We don't, I can't tell you, but it will cut it substantially. So it's an investment in the future is what it is, and it's, an, it's so that we don't have to try to raise uh, that 3 to $5 million. Another thing that's very important for people to understand is how much it costs in Arizona to buy media. All of our media is tremendously expensive. Our television media is, is, this is the third highest media market in the entire country, New York, Los Angeles, Phoenix. Again, because we have five and a half million people living right here in the valley, and that's the difference in the whole thing, is the fact that it's, it's, it's a big media market. So you have to spend mega dollars to get your message out. Well, we want to do it in bits and pieces and not have to try to put four or five million dollars together to beat somebody in a campaign. We, we can't outspend the Humane Society. They bring in $150 million a year. They are a money-making machine. If they want an issue to pass and they want to spend on whatever funds necessary to make it happen, more than likely they're going to be successful. That's just the reality of the world. So we have to prepare for it, preempt it, and then respond when they show up. That's, it's a long-winded story, but that's, that's the whole picture that we're trying to cover right now as we go forward with uh, this plan. Do you truly feel that if we were able to raise a couple of million dollars and do a preventative, let's just call it maybe a preventative maintenance or, you know, a, a preemptive, you know, just keep after the people uh, with education, do you feel that these groups will look at Arizona and say, ah, we're not going to go there. Let's go to some other states. These guys are prepared for us. We, if they're ready and they're educating the public, let's stay out of Arizona. Is that truly what you feel is going to happen? That is certainly our target. There's no doubt about that. Our challenge right now is to raise the bar high enough and make it costly enough to have them look elsewhere. You know, I hate to, I hate to send any, the Humane Society to any place else, to any other state. But this is what has to be done here. We're, the states that have the initiative process in place are ripe for this kind of thing. This is exactly what the Humane Society and, and other uh, animal rights extremists would look at because this is where they can come in, launch a campaign, make money, and then hopefully pass something that they can, you know, um, promote to their members and, and to the rest of the, the voters as, as something that was beneficial to wildlife. 
Our job is to make it, like I say, more costly and much more difficult. So we will continue as, as we're, if we're successful in putting this uh, program in place and begin to raise money and advertise, not only are we going to do that as we work toward the, the 2020 election, but we're going to be also working with the legislature, the governor, the Game and Fish Department, and commission to put as many hurdles in place as possible so that we, we can make it as ugly as we can for them to come in here and try to pass any legislation or anything, uh, regulation dealing with uh, wildlife or wildlife management. What would you say to the person out there that says the Game and Fish is already educating, they already have a budget for that, they have enough money? They have money, of course, uh, but the question is, do they have enough? For, uh, for a specific pinpoint campaign to, to do exactly what we, we're talking about doing? Um, the answer is no. Um, we've talked at length with the department. We've talked with the commission uh, at when it comes to uh, promoting their message. They're changing a lot of things at the department. They've brought on an excellent marketing gal. She, uh, it, they're making significant changes. This will complement that change. This will give the needed funds to, to develop a message and get it out there with enough frequency to, to carry the load for us. The department has its own needs. There's no question about that. And they, and they can reprioritize some of their funds, but they don't have a couple extra million dollars around to do this. This, this, this is needed additional funds, no question about it. Okay. We've, we've talked before on the other podcast, your plan, uh, the, the Conserve and Protect AZ plan is not fully established. There, you've received some criticism for, well, why don't they know exactly how many tags? Why don't they know exactly what percentage of raffle tags, what percentage of auction tags? Why haven't they come to the table with more of a plan? And I had some exchange with some people saying, Guys, I'm, this isn't just so new and that, that they're working on a plan. And, and there was some criticism that, you know, why would they do Jay's podcast without giving us the exact numbers? How do you answer that, Pete, from a standpoint of is this just beginning and are you starting to mold and shape this? Or, or why didn't you come with an exact 175 or 150 or 206? bam, 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 all established and planned out? Well, two parts or two answers, parts to the answer. First of all, Conserve and Protect has been working for the past year on one thing, and that was making sure that the Humane Society did not qualify for the ballot. Um, that even surprised us on uh, March 31st when they made their announcement that they were pulling out of the campaign. We really expected them to go all the way to July 5th, which would have been the deadline to uh, turn in their signatures. Um, that extra three months that we're talking about was also an opportunity for them to try to raise more funds. Well, they couldn't make, raise enough funds. We had made it too costly for them to be here, which was part of our plan all along. So they pulled out early. That caught us by surprise to the point where we were not yet focused on going forward. We were looking at 
we get to July and August, we would be coming out and moving forward with, well, what we're calling our going forward plan, which is what we're discussing right now, the special tags. So it caught us by surprise. That's the first thing. Um, we had talked in generalities previous to this time about what we needed to do. We'd looked at the Utah model. We just had some discussions here with uh, some on the commission and individual department people, uh, other sportsmen and sportsmen organizations, just trying to get a feel for what we might put together. The thing that was really important, because we had this issue in 2012 that created so much ill will and so much problem, was to not have a final product to tell people this is what we're doing, and etc. In all honesty, we are trying to develop it with you, plain and simple. Uh, we didn't want to have a preconceived plan. We're talking in generalities because of that. We know what the basic framework is. We're talking about putting a, some raffle tags and possibly some limited auction tags together to raise funds for this educational campaign. And then it would be, a, uh, the monies would be administered through, as we see it, a um, education partnership committee, just like the Habitat Partnership Committee we use for the Habitat funds. But that was all preliminary. In other words, we knew it would be a difficult task when we took this on because of what happened previously. But we're also to a point where we are, I'll, I'll use the word desperate, to put something together and get ready for the, possibly in the, tw the 2020 election. Our time is short. The one thing that sportsmen have never been prepared for, ever, is a political threat. In 92, when we ran the trapping issue, I was there. I was the day-to-day -day campaign person on that. We were successful. But then two years later, when they came back and pared it down just to trapping instead of a broader uh, issue, uh, they took trapping away. That killed our antelope and deer herds in this state. We went from killing 22,000 coyotes to 2,000, to give you an idea. It was that devastating, and that's in annually. Um, we just have never done well. And when we tried to put the uh, constitutional amendment forward to remove um, the ability to bring an initiative against, couldn't raise more than about a million and a half dollars in order to do that. And we needed three to three and a half million dollars at that time. So sportsmen have never planned well, participated well, or contributed well to political issues. We know how difficult it is. And that's why what we're trying to do here is is utilize some of these tags to, to raise those funds and allow sportsmen to participate by paying $5, $7, whatever the might, number might be for a chance to, to, to draw one of those tags. Um, that money will, will accumulate. There's no question about it. It's been very successful, just like the Super Raffle has been very successful. And this would be, we see it as being offered in uh, in conjunction with the Super Raffle, kind of running the same kind of thing. Um, but there's a lot of work to do, and that's mainly because we didn't want to have a plan where people could say, well, you guys had this plan the whole time. You, you knew what you were going to do. You know, it's, it, we were going to be damned if we did or damned if we didn't. I mean, it's just that's exactly what happened. So we opted to develop it and come forward and work it through the process with everybody involved. 
very difficult thing to do, but that's what we opted to do. So there will be a, a very defined plan at, at some point in time, but it's premature right now because you want sportsmen's input, you want the, the different wildlife organizations group input in order to formulate that plan. Absolutely. It's essential that that takes place. Okay. There's people out there that say, why can't we just do an education stamp and every hunter that buys a license pays you know, $15, $20, $25 for every hunter. Why, in your opinion, uh, uh, that's a solution that sounds reasonable. Why is that not a viable option, in your opinion? Well, some, some informed sportsmen are aware that the department has just went through a lengthy simplification process over the last three, four, five years, whatever it's been now. In fact, they, they re-upped and, and changed a few things even this year to, at the legislature, trying to make it as easy as possible and as inexpensive as possible to get fit people into hunting and fishing. And that's in the forms of license, stamps, all of this other stuff. In fact, they did away with all stamps because of this. They, they tried to make it to where they could get families out and young people out and uh, drop the cost. They have, uh, you know, where if you go out and, and uh, will take a young person with you, they don't have, a, have to have a license. There's all kinds of things that they're trying to do for recruitment and retention, which we applaud. We say that's great. Now, you could say, just like you said, put that $25 fee out there. Well, you've already raised that. That's, that's, you know, that's, a new, that's another license is what that is. And you're also putting it on top of a lot of people that don't see that they want it. Perhaps it's the bird hunters, uh, in particular the small game hunters, not the big game hunters. Uh, it's a situation where it, if you made it to... Um, specific to just hunting and not angling, I'm, I, I'm not sure exactly numbers-wise if you're going to get what you need. Um, it's one of those deals where it's a whole lot easier to let the user pay for it, and in our opinion, and that's the person that's willing to spend the $5 raffle ticket or whatever it might be. Those people are doing so willingly. Raffles are very popular. And so we, what we've seen, particularly in Utah, you know, they have thousands of people buying tags up there. I mean, they are buying raffle chances for tags. Um, they've got everything from, from turkey tags all the way up to uh, sheep and moose tags, stuff like that. But it's, and, and they drive all kinds of people through that and, and, and sell a lot of chances to do that. It's, it's a way of letting the person who's interested and the user pay for it, and that's probably the best way. The, the way that you're going to get the least um, um, difficulty with the, uh, with the users because uh, if you choose not to do it, you don't have to pay it, and you're going to keep the cost down for uh, people who are just uh, trying to get in uh, to hunting or, or, or fishing and uh, they're uh, get, trying to get families and whatnot. You don't want to put that on every license. So that's the reason why we wanted to make it a user pay. You mentioned Utah, and uh, I'm curious what you know about as far as the successes that Utah has had with their program 
and if you know of maybe some of the negatives or any of the big hurdles that they've had to get through or go over or some of their biggest criticisms, can you talk about, from your knowledge, the, the biggest pros and the biggest cons with Utah's uh, model, the way they do uh, the, the raffle and auction tags? Well, they, they do it different than we do. The, the auction tags, they kind of spread around to the different areas of the state. Uh, the, and there's and I can't tell you the number of them. I'm not up to speed on it as it went from when it first started. But the raffle tags, they make you go to their event that they have in Utah, the Western Hunting uh, Convention, and purchase the tags there. Um, that's to draw you to an event that they have, which is the convention, which has, uh, it's, I think the numbers now is staggering. It's like 50,000 people come through the doors up there. So, but that's one of the reasons that they make you come there to buy them. You can't buy them online. Um, we don't envision that. We're not trying to draw people there for another event to make money off a convention. Now, having said that, it makes lots of dollars, millions of dollars, for the Mule Deer Foundation, Sportsman for Wildlife, and for the uh, Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. All three of those partner in that. And I, I don't know the breakdown. I don't have enough uh, information on the specifics. But that's why they want to draw everybody up there to, to do that. We don't. We say we'll, we'll run these online, just like we do the big game super raffle. Anybody can participate, and I don't care whether you're sitting in Alaska or New York or Florida or Arizona. It doesn't matter. You can buy them if you want them. Uh, and that's the whole idea is to make as many people accessible to those tags as possible, to promote it well and raise as much money as possible without having another motive like an, a convention to support. We've talked about having a, like a one-day event here to draw tags and do what we do. But, I mean, that's, that's not a convention. That's just uh, basically a, a, an end of the raffle. Uh, so, uh, but that's, that's, their program works extremely well. They're very happy about it. It raises them a bunch of money. Um, but it's unique because you have to go there to participate. So we're not going to do that. Do you ever envision an expo in Arizona with what you're proposing? Um, I wouldn't rule it out, but I would say there's a, a slim chance. Um, you know, the Deer Association used to run an expo here down at the convention center and did it for three years, I think it was, and it was marginally successful. Uh, pretty good show, uh, not a giant one, but a pretty good show. Um, raised a little bit of money. But the amount of work that went into that was just incredible. And you'd have to set your sights a lot bigger. Uh, you'd have to do what Utah is doing and create this monster expo. And I can tell you, I, I, if somebody wanted to come and take that up as a commercial venture, well, maybe so. But I don't know of anybody in Arizona that has ever you know, talked about uh, doing that since the expos went away. In fact, the ISE show moved in and kind of took over that. Uh, place that uh, the uh, Deer Expo had originally. But I, I don't think that anybody is interested in doing that. I know I certainly am not. I don't have the energy to do that. Um, that's Pete, I somebody think, else. I, I think one of the criticisms of the Utah model, you know, 
I know a lot of people in Utah, and I, I've called and I've texted and I've asked them, you know, about Utah and about the successes, you know, the pros and cons that they see. And the people that I text have all just said that, you know, the habitat is, is incredible. The prescribed burning is incredible. The, the bounties on coyotes has been a great thing. Uh, you know, the, the quality of animals, uh, quality of trophy animals has, has, you know, really flourished. But there is, I hear, some negativity towards uh, the Utah model. And some of that is that there's no transparency in the funds and that the, I believe the three groups that benefit from that expo don't, they're not extremely transparent. Mm-hmm. Will there be any similarities with what you're proposing and with that lack of transparency, lack of where the money is going? In other words, will conserve and protect uh, board members be staying at the you know, $1,000 a night hotels? And, and, and you know, there, there's this con- misconception, I believe, out there that you, know, you guys are going to get rich off of this. I believe there is. Uh, a group of people that think that that's what happens in Utah. In your mind, will there be any similarities with what you're proposing to the people that feel that that's going on in Utah? Absolutely not. Uh, it's just it's totally different program. Conserve and protect the, uh, Arizona will never touch a dime of that money. We will not handle it. We will not have anything to do with it and receive absolutely no benefit from it, plain and simple. This is going to be a program administered through the Arizona Game and Fish Commission to the Arizona Game and Fish Department. Um, it's going to be something that is a completely above board, audited funds. I mean, it's uh, as any department program, uh, they're fully scrutinized. Um, what we want to see to have some, give some guarantee to sportsmen that their money is being used for that purpose in, that it was intended for, as I'd mentioned earlier, is what I'm calling an edu- education partnership committee. Um, just like the habitat partnership committees that many people are familiar with, uh, the same thing would be established with commission representation, department representation, and sportsman representation. There would be a situation where the department and this committee would look for and find a marketing, a professional marketing firm, engage one to develop this program, to institute the program, to monitor the program to be sure that we were getting the uh, uh, results that we needed to change it as necessary, to continue to target certain things, to, again, to be sure we're getting what was intended. And that would all be scrutinized by the larger education uh, uh, partnership committee. Um, that's our vision of it. It's very simple. It's very small. It's very transparent. Um, the easiest way to do it, and I don't, can't imagine there's going to be any questions, just like the, uh, the Habitat Partnership Committee, which uh, involves multiple meetings, involves uh, full report on monies expended, uh, monies that are, not re- that are still retained because projects didn't happen. It, it, they are accounted for in, in different 
different projects. I mean, it's it's just it gives you a lot of confidence if you're working with that group, to understanding the process. So this is going to be a small, open and transparent program that can serve and protect Arizona. Will never touch. Okay. Yeah, I think you're pretty pretty clear on that. Um, I want to move on. Pete, if, if, if we're ramping up to the 2020 um, election and we're, you're able to get, Conserve and Protect able to get what they want pushed through and, and, and everything that you want gets pushed through, there becomes raffle tags, becomes a handful of auction tags, and you start raising that money. Would there ever be a point in time where you would feel like that the education, that everything you've gotten everything, you know, game and fish is where you want it in the public's eye, where that would ramp back, and maybe you say the plan has worked so well, we don't need the hundred, the hundred and fifty, the two hundred, whatever it may be, tags, and you say, you know, we're going to ramp it back for the next couple of years to to fifty tags, or seventy-five tags, or twenty-five tags, or a hundred tags, um, or do you feel like once this gets established that the the, the amount of tags that are uh, raffled and auctioned will always be the same. I, it, it's hard to a answer that. Uh, if Arizona continues to grow at the rate it is right now, uh, with most of the people coming here not having any understanding of the department's role and in wildlife and the sportsman's role in wildlife, um, no, I don't see that changing. I, I think this is an ongoing program that continues to reach out to to people that uh, are new and and don't know. Um, now, obviously, if we're monitoring this whole program and we're beginning to see a saturation level that is going way above, um, that's one. It's a great program because that's exactly what we wanted to see. But could there then be a change? and that those numbers ramp back. Uh, absolutely. Um, I would envision the ability of the commission at that time to say, hey, you know, instead of, let's, for round numbers, let's say 100. Instead of 100, we only need 75, or we need 80, or whatever that number might be, we can cut back. Yeah, I see that as a possibility. Um, I do. Uh, I don't know that it's something at this point in time that, that would happen, but I certainly see it, the, the uh, ability of the commission to do that. When I talk to a lot of people and when I read different things, there's a lot of people that don't have really any issues with the raffle tags, but where they have a problem is with auction tags, and it seems like the major heartburn that I hear about is on the auction tag portion of your plan. Is there a possibility that the, uh, this plan could move forward just as raffle tags without the auction tag component? Um, yeah. If the, uh, if the outcry from the uh, sportsmen is so great that uh, the commission would decide not to do it, that, yeah, and so I mean, if that's the, the the silver bullet that's needed to stop those auction tags, um, then 
I would say the, it would take that from the, from the public. But I would caution that, and here's why. You know, I, I hear people talking all the time about, oh, the, you know, these rich guys buying tags, etc., and it's, it's a real issue. Well, I've been around a lot of it, and I've seen it. I was president of the Wild Sheep Foundation, and, uh, in which we thrive on, on auctioning these big tags and raise millions of dollars each year for, for conservation. Um, it's very beneficial to have some auction tags. Now, let me talk about these tags, in comp or what we're proposing in these tags, as comparison to the, the tags that everybody hates now. The... Just to say, everybody doesn't hate the tags now, but there is a comp there is a component of people that do not like the auction tags. You're correct. That's that's an accurate statement. Okay. I, and and I'm not interjecting my opinion. I just, no, I know you, I know you had misspoke there, so I, I wanted yeah. to point yeah. that out. That's fine. Everybody does not hate them. <laughs> Many do. You're right. Um, the special commissioners tags are are. 365-day-a-year tags. You, can, you, want, you buy one of these, and you have a, a, literally a 365-day season. There's two of them for each big game species. So in other words, there's two sheep, two elk, two deer, two antelope, etc. Um, they've been very popular uh, since they were instituted in 1983. Uh, we're up, I believe it's uh, north of $34 million raised for habitat work. And that has been wonderful for sportsmen uh, in many ways. Uh, it's very, very positive. Um, what we are not going to do is, or recommend, is more of those tags. Um, they are sole and separate and will be part of the Habitat Partnership Committee for Habitat Work, and they will remain the same. New tags, and I'm talking now just auction tags, if they were created, would be for a much smaller hunt time, either the same exact times that currently uh, you would have for, like, let's, let's say an early bull tag, where you get to, for rifle, you get to hunt a week. All right, maybe these tags would be two weeks. Somewhat of an incentive for somebody to pay more money. And I think what you're going to see is those tags sell for, you know, who knows, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, real easy, um, because of a two-week hunt like that at the best time. And uh, depending on if it's a single, spe uh, single specific unit, or maybe it might be two or three units, whatever, something that's very uh, attractive, you can craft something that's going to gain you a considerable amount more money than you can with a, with it being just a raffle tag. So the, it's kind of an insurance policy to get you where you need to in the um, uh, to get that couple million bucks a year uh, at least for this education program. Now you could leave those out, and if you did, you would substantially reduce the amount of money raised overall. Let's talk for a second about how many. Would, might be an auction All right, tag. All right, I'm going to throw this out. This is me speaking. This is not a recommendation. This is just me speaking in round terms now for, for what we're talking about for discussion. If we had 100 tags, say we made 80% of them raffle tags, so we might have 20 tags that would be these limited, I'll call them limited, auction tags. 
again, they're not like the full 365-day tags. And you've got a couple of elk tags, a couple of antelope tags, and a couple of strip deer tags, kaibab deer tags, uh, some uh, ghouls turkey tags, uh, you know, a mix thereof, maybe a sheep tag, a buffalo tag, those kind of things. So you would have a, a mix of them. Um, if you did that, then you've got, you're drawn in about it, everybody you can because you're offering this group of tags that represents just about every, all the, the, the good things we have to hunt here. But you're doing it in a very limited number, one or two of this and that. You add that up, and pretty soon you've got hundreds of thousands of extra dollars that are coming into this. And that's, that's why it's a benefit marketing-wise to be able to have that and tweak those in order to give you added value and added dollars. If it didn't happen and they were just all raffle tags, then you would work with whatever dollars less, and, and either you make it work or maybe you increase the number of raffle tags to do that, to, to get to the point to, to, to the, the amount that you need to sustain the education program. So it's, it's flexible. It, it, there's options. You just need to figure out how much you need to raise for the program and then figure how you're going to get to that, uh, the ability to raise the money that's needed. Let me say one other thing about these tags. <coughs> the department each year authorizes over 100,000 different tags for elk and antelope and deer and sheep and, and all the rest of them. Uh, most of them are deer and elk and, of course, javelina. Uh, but it's over 100,000 tags. We're talking maybe 100 tags. If we use the 100 tag number, that's about 0.1% of 1% of all the tags out there. Um, that's not many. The percentage is so low, and I want people to understand that, that whatever we do, even if you bump it up to 150, that's 1.5%. I mean, these are small, small numbers. 1.5 of 1%. Of 1%, yeah. I didn't, didn't finish through right. this exact time. That's right. correct. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we're not talking a myriad of tags. We're not denying people the ability to draw, <laughs> you know, tags in this thing. In fact, they still could buy. You know, it costs you $13 to apply for a, 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 a permit now whatever it is, and then whatever the permit fee is for that, for deer, for elk sheep. And in here, what we're talking about is you can apply for the same thing for five bucks or whatever it is, seven bucks. <laughs> hey, it's pretty good value. I realize your odds are slim. Heck, just like your regular game in fish drawing. <laughs> but uh, it's small. One smaller number. Yeah, in relation to the amount of tags that they give, um, do you believe it also promotes people buying hunting licenses? Because I have actually bought tags myself. I've gone to the expo in Utah, and in order to be, in order to you know buy tags and expo tags, you have to have an Arizona hunting license, or excuse me, a Utah hunting license. Mm -hmm. um, do you think? Do you think there would be an added benefit, or do you think there would be people that actually are buying expo tags? That's not the right word. 
buying the tags that you're pro proposing, like the Expo tags in Utah, that would also be that would have not bought an Arizona hunting license that now would be buying a hunting license and doesn't the more hunting licenses that the Arizona Game and Fish sells, doesn't that help our Game and Fish Department? And d wouldn't sportsmen want Arizona Game and Fish Department to actually sell more licenses? Because doesn't that actually help the Game and Fish Department? Absolutely. This is Pittman-Robertson dollars. You know, they get federal match dollars for license sales, license tax sales. Um, it, it does increase their revenue. There's no question about that. It's... Uh, it's a multiplier in this case, and, and, and you're going to raise more money. No doubt about it. Pete, do you guys have uh, Conserve and Protect AZ? Do you guys have an email list, and are you going to be sending out emails if people wanted to get on your list to get more information? Um, is that something you plan on doing, as well as you receive some criticism for not posting, you know, you're saying that that you want to be transparent. You're saying that you want to be open for public comment. You you know you you've gone over the last week to ten days uh, and met with several of the sportsmen's organization groups and said that they're public meetings, but there hasn't been a very good job of posting where these meetings are and such. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I can. And part of it goes back to the fact that this week caught us by surprise once again. Now, our, our web people right now are working on changing our site over. Remember, that site was set up specifically to uh, run our Decline to Sign campaign and uh, fight the Humane Society. So now we're, <laughs> we're, we're redoing the campaign, or excuse me, we're redoing the website because of this. Um, so it's caught us short in that respect. Um, Right now, if somebody, well, I know on Facebook, I believe it's been posted, uh, the next meeting is at Bass Pro on Tuesday, I think it's 6.30 um, is the next meeting, uh, so we'll get that out there. It's being hosted by the Arizona Deer Association, uh, and uh, so that's the next one coming up. We will have, a, as it is right now, we have a place to place for people to sign up on the um, as a uh, supporter for the for conserve and protect Arizona if you go to our website sign up as a supporter uh, we can then we'll capture your email and you will be added to an email list that we can send out notices for so that is being changed as we speak and I would anticipate with sometime in this next week that that'll all be done Pete, why a, a 501c4 and not a 501c3? Most of the sportsmen's group that you see in Arizona, correct me if I'm wrong, are 501c3. Why a 501c4? Big reason. Um, 501c4 organizations can be political. 501c3 organizations cannot. They can spend a certain amount of their revenue, this is C3s now, concern, can spend a certain amount of their revenue on political advocacy of issues. They can't spend a dime on candidate issues, okay, but they can for political advocacy. And that, um, uh, so you, you can spend some. But the 501c4, we could spend half of our money for political issues and half for education. So it makes it, we can enter the political arena at all levels, and that's, that's the important part. 
And so that's why you'll see all the sportsmen conservation groups as C3s because, you know, they're, they're, out, they're not doing political work. And that's the other advantage to conserve and protect Arizona for them. That's why we got so much support during this campaign from the, from the uh, sportsmen's groups is because uh, they could give us some of their revenue, as I said, can be spent for advocacy. And they contributed to us so then we could do the political work. But collectively they couldn't do it. Uh, themselves, so we did. So that's why the C4 is incredibly important, and we fill a need. There's not another one out here uh, working like that uh, for uh, Arizona sportsmen. NRA has one in, like, Isla, uh, so they can do the legislative and government work. Safari Club International has one for the same thing, same reasons. So they're essential to being able to, to uh, be political. The critics could say that um, in a, in a five hundred one C four, the people that donate money to your group, they don't have to report. In other words, you could get donations, and you don't have to report who those people are, or who those corporations or organizations are that are giving you money. Critics would say, "Oh, it's it's another good old boys deal. They're, it's all their cronies, and they're trying to keep everything secret." Wouldn't that allow someone that it has, a, a, say, a thriving business here in Arizona who is an avid sportsman but may have a business that uh, caters to people that, of the non-hunting community and maybe doesn't necessarily want to give a million dollars and have everybody know since they shop or whatever at their store or at their marketplace or what have you, uh, they don't necessarily want to make it public knowledge that they donate a million dollars to conserve and protect AZ, whereas if it was a 501c3, everybody would know. I mean, do you feel like being a 501c4 allows you to deal with large private donors that maybe it would be all for spending money and giving a donation as long as they don't have to, uh, everybody doesn't have to know who, who gave it? No question. That is one of the reasons why 501c4 is are popular because, for example, politicians. Politicians often support different causes, but for them politically to openly support that cause, it, it, it takes a lot of political capital away from them. It makes it difficult for them. So this way they can contribute to you. Businesses, Bass Pro, Cabela's, all these others, uh, they can do the same thing uh, behind the scenes they can contribute, and everybody else doesn't know about it. So it may, they help themselves by doing that. Now, remember, there's one thing, too, that's different about that C4 is the fact that you don't have any tax deductibility. Uh, the C3s, you do. So anybody that makes a contribution to a C4, is, it's just that. It's just they're giving you the money, and they're not getting any benefit out of it. So that's a, that's a big difference there. But it's important to be able to protect your donors and uh, give people that – would not donate to you otherwise if they had to disclose what they were doing, uh, simply wouldn't do it. And so, yep, and that's, that's reality in the political world. That's an advantage that is there and is used by all that's out there. I know conserve, you, it said conserve and protect AZ was kind of at the forefront of fighting the HSUS and, and uh, you were able to make it where they weren't able to get 
the initiative or the number of signatures uh, on the petition. Um, there's some that are saying, I want to know how much money Conserve and Protect spent, where did they get the money from, uh, did they run magazine ads, you know, did they run TV ads. They keep saying that they did all this work. You know, I want to know, show us some of the details of the 250,000. You know, this is what's on some of the uh, public websites. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, there's, there's people, instead of applauding what Conserve and Protect did, they're trying to say, I want to know where the money came from, came from, from what Conserve and Protect did. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, it's not a lot of money, first of all. In today's world, $250,000 in round terms is what it was. Um, most of the money we uh, uh, obtained came from uh, Arizona sportsman conservation organizations, um, and I don't mind disclosing those because those are people that we uh, I thank very much and, and uh, mean a lot to us. Um, Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, Arizona Elk Society, Arizona Deer Association, Arizona Antelope Foundation, um, Yuma Valley Rod and Gun Club, um, Arizona Bow Hunters Association, um, Arizona Chapter of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Um, those are the main ones that contributed. We also got money from National Shooting Sports Foundation. Um, there's some houndsmen that contributed individually, um, and then some small donations that came in, you know, from individuals and whatnot. But that's that's where the money came from. Uh, I mean, plain and simple. That's that's it. So okay, we don't mind. So in other words, in other words, though, the critics are like saying conserve and protect is taking a lot of credit for fighting HSUS, you know, and defeating HSUS in this particular case. Mm -hmm. I, I don't exactly know what they're trying to point out, but they're they're almost trying to say, prove that you did it. What would your answer to be to someone that's saying, prove that you did this? Well, our whole campaign was done quietly, under the radar, because it was it had to be. Remember, this was not a tradition pain where we're going to go out and we're going to put TV ads and radio ads on and newspaper ads and all of that stuff. That's one we can't win. We can never win that with the Humane Society. Our whole effort was to keep people from signing that, so we took the expertise away from them. Arizona's unique. It's, it's an initiative state, but beyond that, there's very few people that do petition gathering, signature gathering work in the state of Arizona. Um, there's one firm that does about 95% of all of the work that, is, that actually makes it to the ballot. They are that good at what they do. We hired them to work for us. And we used their expertise to make sure that the signatures could not be gathered. I won't go into it. So in other words, shouldn't sportsmen be proud? Shouldn't we be doing a fist pump saying, our guys were smart enough to actually go get the guys that could do this. They did everything legally, but they, in essence, you outfoxed them. You took a group that has way more resources 
than we do as sportsmen, way more resources that Conserve and Protect has, and you, in essence, you outbox them. Shouldn't, no shouldn't, that. shouldn't that be a huge, shouldn't people be excited for the fact that we have people like yourselves that have connections and have the wit and have the, the, the 35 years plus experience to say, okay, well, we might not have as much money as you, but the David and Goliath of, we still know that, you know, we found a way to beat you in this case. Um, well, we took great satisfaction on March 31st when the Humane Society pulled out. This whole program was uh, a program, I'm, I'm going to be straightforward as I can, a program of desperation because we knew we weren't going to have millions to fight them. We had to find a way to, to do it that was cheap and effective. We did that. And I want to give a lot of credit to a fellow by the name of Kurt Davis. Kurt Davis, of course, is an Arizona Game and Fish Commissioner. He's also a lobbyist at the Arizona legislature. Um, he's one of the most effective lobbyists that are around. And uh, Kurt has many good contacts within the business of the elections and politics. And one of those was the firm that I talked about. And uh, when uh, Kurt came to us with a plan and said, this is something you need to consider. We met with them. We sat down, and um, all of us that were there, there's six of us, we decided that this was our best hope. Not only was it our best hope, it gave us a real sense that we could pull this off if, and it's a big if, if we could keep our mouths shut and, and keep behind the scenes. And uh, we were able to work with a small group. Uh, I want to commend the number of houndsmen and, and uh, houndsmen organizations in the state, worked closely with us, about 50 of them. Uh, they did a lot of work in the field. Um, we, um, we were able to keep this under the radar all the way through the end of the year into early 2018. And be it, by doing that, when the Humane Society went to hire our firm to do their work, because, as I mentioned, our firm does all of the successful work in this state, it wasn't an option. They were relying on that, and they were relying on other organizations to come here uh, from outside Arizona, and they wouldn't come here because of the uh, working relationship that... Uh, our firm has with the other folks that are around this country. Um, basically, when they come here, they normally work through uh, them anyway, and uh, they weren't available. So it was a very good move, very, very astute, uh, good plan. Sportsman of Arizona, old Kurt Davis, a uh, kudo for that and put, helping us put that together. Um, I know I've also seen some people say, well, they changed the laws in the state and uh, that made it more difficult. Well, strict compliance is the law, and it was put in place by the legislature, and it did change the way signatures are gathered in the state. Um, you could not pay per signature anymore. You had to pay per hour, and so a regular wage to individuals. Um, that made it more difficult 
for outside firms to come in here to do that because the great majority of them just pay per signature. And so people had to reorganize. So that made a difference, very minor overall. Anybody that wanted to come here and spend the money is going to get it, but not without our, our firm in there you know, working with them. So that preemptive move was so critical in winning this election, and it is the thing that ended it in a hurry once the Humane Society found out they didn't have another option, plain and simple. Uh, that's the way they got kicked out of here. Very nice job. I want to say thank you for all your work uh, in that. I, you know, quite honestly, if, if there's people out there that don't think you personally put a lot of volunteer time into that, they just don't know the facts, and I want to thank you for that. Um, I, I want to give you a chance to, you, you've spent some good time here with us, and, and I know we'll have to do some more. Um, I want to give you a chance to, you know, if you have any concluding thoughts to any of the stuff we've talked about today and what you want to say directly to sportsmen. Well, the number of sportsmen we have in Arizona, if you count the, the fishermen with us, you know it's only about 250,000, 300,000. I've heard 400,000. So let's say it's 400,000. The question I have is that why I asked that or said it that way is because how many are really active? Uh, it's a small community. And uh, for us to survive and for us to be able to hunt and fish and do the things we like to do, we can't afford to be fighting each other. What's going on in social media and other things, all of these unfounded claims, uh, a lot of really nasty things being said about, in my opinion, some good people, um, shouldn't be happening. Um, why should they trust us? We haven't done anything to not deserve your trust, first of all. The effort that you, we just made was in all of our interests and didn't come at your expense nor did it come with your help. We, we made it happen. You need to work with us on this to form something that we all can live with that gets us where we need to go so that in the future we, aren't, we don't find ourselves in a position where we're trying to fight Goliath without any money, without any organization, without any strength whatsoever. We're going to lose that. There's no question. We will lose. And that is a battle that none of us can afford to lose. So rather than condemn us, I would suggest you listen to us and work with us and communicate with us. Contribute your concerns or your suggestions, but don't just criticize us because that gets us absolutely nowhere. We've got to stick together. Again, a small group. We're as transparent as we can be. We'll continue to develop that as we go along, plain and simple. That's our plan. We plan to be as we're going to be small, open, but active. And uh, we invite participation. Um, so you want to contact us? It's info at conserveandprotectaz.org. You can go on there, sign up for the email list. Like I say, we're doing the transition now on the website. Sign up as a supporter. You'll be added. You can do that right now, and that'll be added to the email list. 
And as we move forward, we'll be posting on Facebook and on the website, and we will continue to you know, press on this. Uh, there's a fairly short timeline in order to get this before the commission. The commission's got to sign off on it. Legislation would have to be developed. All of that has to take place before 2019, and then early in 2019, if we get to that point, hopefully we move it through, and then we can begin to, to really go forward and raise some money and do some work to uh, protect ourselves. But uh, like I say, uh, if you've got other ideas, contact us too. I mean, folks, the, the options are limited when it comes to making the kind of money that we need to without somebody writing big checks, without influencing what the whole process is. And that's what we're trying to do is make it a, a, a collective effort without any of that influence. That's why we're on this podcast, and that's why we're talking to you. Work with us. That's it. And, Jay, I just want to say I really appreciate it. This guy should not take any criticism for the fact he's willing to get this out and let you make up your minds. That's important. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for your time. Um, we'll be chatting at you down the road and keep us posted. And, uh, again, appreciate all the work that you've done for many years. And um, I encourage anybody listening, you know, if you disagree, that's okay. Give them comments. Give them feedback. Tell them what you do agree with. Tell them what you don't agree with. Give them, give them options. Give them ideas. Um, let's all work together as sportsmen to figure this out. And, uh, Pete, I appreciate uh, your work for 30-plus years and all the tireless, just unbelievable efforts that you have put forward uh, in, in many, many cases, and um, not just this case, not just the last case, but for many, many years. And uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Jake. Take right. care.